Made Visible is a podcast that gives a voice to people with invisible illnesses. There's no blueprint about how to live with an invisible illness or how to be there for someone who has one. We're here to help people feel less alone as they strive to create a normal life and to create an awareness of how we can be supportive of people who seem fine but aren't. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in for another episode of Made Visible. I'm your host, Harper Spiro. We're changing things up a bit today. This is a bonus episode. On episode five, I had a conversation with the amazing Danielle Diamond. If you haven't listened to the episode, I encourage you to go back and listen to it because it was truly a fascinating conversation. During our chat, Danielle referenced the piece that she wrote about her mother. I was really compelled to read it, so she shared it with me. And after doing so, we had a bit of a chat about it, and we agreed to share it with you too. This piece really needs no introduction. So here's Danielle Diamond reading her story behind closed doors. When I was little, my parents would say she's four going on 40. But my sophistication wasn't born by copying Abba's dance moves or reciting the periodic elements. I grew up fast because my mother at 29 years old was like a child. She had all the accessories of an adult life, the high heels, the perfume, and the pill boxes, but many days she cried like a baby for hours. I remember one particular morning, my father was wearing a suit, which meant he had a meeting because working in the music business usually required just jeans and a t-shirt. My dad was boyishly handsome, but once he knotted his tie, there was a movie star quality about him. He stood outside the bathroom door with my mother's favorite mug of coffee and spoke to her calmly and softly. Honey, please open the door. Come sit on the deck with us and have some breakfast. It's sunny outside. Nothing. He knocked again, and I saw his face fall in frustration. In between sobs, her rifling through drawers was barely audible, but he knew what she was doing. He pounded furiously in the door. The slamming of drawers was a sound of her scavenging for pills, a sound that, on occasion, was an overture to an ambulance roaring in the driveway. He noticed me in the hall and stopped pounding. Danny, go downstairs and watch TV. I'll be there in a minute. I didn't feel like watching TV. After all, there was a real live soap opera with no commercial breaks right before my eyes. So I walked down the hall just out of sight and watched him run around their bedroom looking for the bobby pin shaped key to the bathroom. My mother always had a new hiding spot, but she never made it so difficult that he couldn't find it and rescue her. Suicide attempts played out the same way. She would kill herself just enough to get attention and go into the hospital, but not enough to actually die. Well, at least not the first 17 times. He finally broke open the lock and found my mother crying on the floor in her nightgown, mascara running down her face like a sad circus clown. With her soft golden hair, sculpted physique, and turquoise eyes, she was the Olivia Newton-John to his Travolta, by all outward appearances, the perfect couple. He coaxed her out of the small stuffy room. She smiled faintly at me, sitting in the hall, as my father walked her to bed. Once she was calm, he walked me downstairs and turned on Sesame Street. He kissed the top of my head and said he'd be back before dinner. At a young age, I understood he had to leave for work. He was on a mission to start his new guitar company, the one that would eventually rise to number one and make him so much money he could buy my mother anything she wanted. In his Pollyanna mind, he actually thought he could make her happy. But as I found out much too late in life, you can't find happiness in a handbag, even if it's from Prada. As he left, I pressed the volume button on the television until it reached 10. I was hoping to drown her out. 
but even the sound of Cookie Monster counting chips at that decibel didn't help. The echo of her unhappiness infiltrating the vents in my room made it impossible to ignore. I couldn't sit another moment and listen to her weep. I had been here countless times before, but never felt responsible for the situation. Today, I felt different. There was something in her eyes as she passed me in the hall, a certain level of sadness that I hadn't recalled seeing before. I thought about how she took care of me when I was sick. I wanted to reciprocate, to make her feel better. I went into the kitchen, staring at the top of the fridge, barefoot in last night's pajamas. I focused on only one thing, how that long loaf of bread would make its way into my tiny little hands. Never one to be intimidated by a challenge, I was not going to let this large appliance stand between me and my mother's happiness. Hanging over the edge was a fresh loaf of Wonder Bread. Its white packaging covered in blue and red circles reminded me of a circus. How could you not be happy with a loaf of circus bread in your kitchen? But that loaf of wonder was just another sign of my mother's depression. It meant my father had gone food shopping. My mother never would have let me eat white bread. I was the kid who had her peanut butter and jelly on weird brown bread encrusted with wheat germ. So I hiked my princess nightgown up around my waist to step on the chair I had dragged over to the adjacent countertop. Hanging on the side of the fridge, I leaned around the front just enough to swipe the loaf to the floor. Ah, happiness will be hers, I thought with optimism. I jumped down, then victoriously picked up the bag and took out two soft slices. Just the smell of it felt naughty as I laid them on the plate. Then, because I didn't actually know how to cook, I grabbed the two ingredients that were available to me. Carrots and mustard. Ew, you say? I don't disagree. But at the time, I thought that any sandwich, no matter how strange, was better than nothing. I placed the carrots and mustard on the butcher block, then took out my little pink plastic knife and tried to cut the first carrot. It did nothing but make a small dent. I went over to the knife drawer and cautiously pulled it open. I stood there and wondered if I was allowed to use the big knife, but really at this point, who was going to stop me? I wrapped my tiny little fingers around the large handle as the big shiny blade cut the carrots into little discs. They flew all over the floor. I had seen my mother scrub those tiles obsessively, so there was no issue with following the five-second rule. Once I had made the bread fluorescent yellow with mustard, I piled on the carrots and covered them with another slice. I took the lunch tray out of the pantry and placed it on the floor. I then grabbed a rose out of the weekly arrangement and put it on top, something I had seen my father do many times before. I placed the plate on a tray with a yellow napkin, her favorite color because it reminded her of sunshine. By all outward appearances, one would think this was room service from the Ritz-Carlton. But that's the problem with appearances. You never really know what's lying underneath the surface. This tray was like our family. On the outside, happy, beautiful people living the glamorous life in a fancy house, driving exotic cars and vacationing with celebrities. Inside, a sad, mentally ill wife and mother trying to find a way out of her misery while her exhausted husband and confused child looked on. I reached the top of the stairs and paused, not knowing how she would react to my gesture. I felt like the mommy now, responsible for her health and happiness. I'll never forget the look on her face, sitting there in her fancy nightgown as I placed the tray on her bed. Her lips formed the biggest smile I had ever seen as she thanked me profusely for my efforts, even managing to take a big bite just to show her appreciation. In my mind, with that smile, she accepted my assistance. Never mind, I was only four years old. A role reversal had taken place. At four years old, I didn't realize the impact my mother's illness would have on my life. There was no fear, 
no anticipation of what tomorrow would bring. At four years old, you don't think. You just do. You bounce on a trampoline, you dive into the deep end, or you take care of your bipolar mother like she once took care of you. Thanks for tuning into Made Visible. We hope you learned about something new today. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a few minutes to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on iTunes. We can't do this without your support. Visit madevisiblepodcast.com. Follow Made Visible Podcast on Instagram. Special thanks to the team who made this possible. Elise Bonebright, the audio editor. Gemma Leghorn, the assistant producer. Dylan Chenfeld for the intro music. And Krista Gray for the logo and design concepts.